to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast. This is Anthony Chansomove, learning and community lead here at Bean Ninjas. And in this episode, I have a really cool chat with our good friend, James Shramko, who is the founder of superfastbusiness.com. And uh, the topic for this particular conversation is a timely one. It's how to master timing and change. And uh, we go into different things um, such as James taking us back to the last recession uh, in the early 90s and what he was doing then and how he was essentially during that time was when he left his corporate role, um, his company job, and then he actually started his business and um, how throughout that time he learned a lot about uh, preparing yourself for uncertain times like what we're going through right now and how you can really set your business up uh, in a way that you minimize the impacts of the economy or, or external forces, right? So we um, talk about different business models uh, that James sees as opportunities right now. He, uh, James shares his number one tip for improving cash flow over the next 90 days. Uh, and we also talk a, a bit about his book, uh, which is Work Less, Make More. So if you are thinking about the opportunities that are available to you if you're questioning you know what are you going to do next or how can you pivot your business or uh, what are some online business models or what whatever um what's there that's available to you then this episode is worth a listen and uh let's bring on james shremko all right hey guys welcome to the bean ninjas podcast this is anthony chansmuth and um today we're talking about how to master timing and change with uh, James Shramko from Superfast Business. James, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And um, before we jump into uh, timing and change, there's you've got a remarkable story, which is the reason why I wanted to have you on uh, the podcast. And um, certainly right now we're going through a period of change and timing and understanding the impacts of um preparing for you know situations like this um but also what do you what do we do if we're not prepared uh, and we've found ourselves struggling or just trying to keep our heads above water which um some of our clients are certainly going through but also people in our community um so let's just go back to i'd like to go back to the first well the, the last recession because that's um you shared a, a, a bit of an insight on a, on a post that I put on Facebook, a question which is really, you know, how are you doing right now? And, and um, you're kind enough to put a comment there to say, well, you learned a few things um, going back to the last recession, which is back in the 90s. So do you want to just re retell that story and, and give us uh, the audience here some insight into where you were, what you were doing and, and what, you, um, what you learned throughout that period? Right. Well, there was, there was that and there was also a great um, financial crisis as well in between there. So at that time, you know, in the early 90s, I was studying accounting and there was this recession and it affected my family. Uh, my dad was made redundant. He had a home mortgage. I think the rates were going up to 27%. <laughs> 
Um, there was this, you know, the government forced a recession onto us, uh, according to him. He had a car payment and, uh, you know, so he was basically left without employment, having to pay for a house and a car. They had to sell up. Short stories, I moved from the big, nice house to a little um, makeshift shed in the back of my grandfather's house. It, it was an old shed that we sort of knocked down and rebuilt with brick and, and wooden floorboards and a little kitchenette. It was a nice thing, but, it, you know, it was like quite a big shock to go uh, from one scenario to another. And I also felt an obligation to go and get employment. So I got a job as a trainee uh, account manager in a debt collection firm. So my new job was collecting telephone payments and it was for all sorts of services from car services through to uh, electrical equipment, loans, et cetera. We had to follow up and I learned all about the psychological process involved when people are in, you know, owing money. I also learned about the legal process and, uh, and you know, the process for recovering debt. And it really affected me uh, from, the, from the point of view that I really uh, had a, an unusual relationship with debt from that point. It, it was strange because it was providing me employment but I could see how devastating it was for the people who were on the other side of the phone. And my next job after that, I actually went out into the field and I was repossessing cars that were overdue. So I I repossessed over 100 cars one year. I worked for a company called GMAC Finance, which was uh, the finance arm of General Motors. So it was financing car dealerships. And I learned a lot in that role as well. Uh, so, yeah, I sort of worked my way from there into the, the emerging digital telephony industry. Back then, Vodafone was starting out in Australia in about 1993. Uh, I got a job in 94 and sort of starting to open up and boom a bit. And then I went into sales in BMW in 95 and 96 and then Mercedes-Benz from 97 on right through to 2008. And you could say that was like... Um, a boom time, like the luxury car segment was taking off. You know, people were getting sloppy and lazy and developing bad habits and, and there was that sort of grandiose excess again. And then as an employee, I was starting to feel very concerned that I was being paid by one person and I knew I needed to start a business like my successful Mercedes-Benz customers, but I just didn't know what. And again, my family were now suffering the next time around because they'd gone into the travel industry and and that had been hurt by 9-11. People started to go online a lot more. Uh, Australia was behind the US market at this point. But in about 2005, I was teaching myself how to build a website. And by 2008, I'd built enough income to be able to quit my job, which was a high-paid job as a general manager. By that time, I was earning around $300,000 a year. And my goal was to break even. When my income for my online business met my day-to-day income, I would let go. And I quit my job uh, in uh, July 2008 and never looked back. Yeah, there's a few sort of insightful things that come from that story. And thank you for sharing that. Um, The one that sort of stands out right now because it's uh, it's this idea of you were still in your role, like you were still working... um, for uh, Mercedes leading up to the time where you had the income match or replace? Uh, how long was that particular period for you? 
two and a half years. And, you know, so starting from scratch took me probably six to nine months till I made any income at all. It took me a while to slowly build like a snowball, like 150, 300, $500 a month, 800, 1,000, 1,500, 3,500, 5,000. Eventually got up to about 10 grand a month and I was kind of stuck. And I went from about $150,000 a year to $300,000 a year within a period of um, a week or two mm. when I actually flicked the switch on my grand idea. But there was a six-week process that led up to that. Uh, and and it's, it was kind of um, mind-numbing now when I think about it, you know, what I went through back then. And, you know, after I quit my job, that first Christmas I had a cash flow crunch and it was because I was so good at driving traffic for my affiliate offers that I was promoting that I actually sent a company broke. Wow. Uh, I was driving so much traffic to them that they couldn't fulfill. They got really bad reviews. They had to refund uh, or basically collapse um, under the pressure and I never got paid. So I went through this December period just scraping through the piggy bank to try and buy food and... and uh, that's when I said, right, I need to turn up my recurring income mm-hmm. side of the business and I future-proofed my business from then. From the beginning of 2009 to now, I have never had a month where I've done less than $100,000 recurring income. If you average out the year, it's just been so consistent as a, as a minimum. That would be my absolute minimum point. And I also have been very conservative when it comes to carrying debt and uh, taking big risks. I de-risk my business and I tend to do that for all my other clients too, looking for the pitfalls that bring them down, which would be, you know, excess, uh, flying blind without knowing their financials or numbers, which is unbelievably common. And I'm sure you're all aware of that. (laughs) Uh, uh, Being very, very single source dependent on one thing uh, is also potentially extremely dangerous for businesses, Uh, partnerships that break up, all these sort of things, operating on someone else's platform and getting shut down. You see these patterns over and over again. So I help people avoid those. And what I've found is right now my business is so weatherproof. It's like actually thriving in this environment. It's what I'd planned in my mind and it has turned out to be the case by having certain filters in place, making sure that I only deal with people who are in motion. I only uh, I deal with people in multiple countries. I deal with people at multiple price points. I deal with lots of people to start with. I have multiple ways of acquiring a customer through different channels. So, uh, and, and also have so many, so much cash reserve that I could at least, uh, well, I could probably just retire actually, <laughs> being open about it. But, but yeah. you know, I've got enough costs to pay for the business for at least a decade. Yeah, and to give people context here, you've got a family, how many kids now? <laughs> Five kids. Now. Five kids, right? So, um, when you were starting the business, how many kids did you have at that point in time? Four kids. Four, so okay. I had them, yeah. You know, yeah. They, they were already, um, already sort of active, you know, ranging from seven through to 15 uh, when I started out. And of course, um, three of them are adults. The fourth one's about to be an adult. And um, that being said, though, I'm still caring for three of my five kids. So they're, they're all uh, still a responsibility for mm-hmm. sure. 
Yeah, uh, and I met one of your sons uh, at, at SFB, so that was really cool just to see sort of mini Shramko <laughs> sitting next to me at lunch. Um, yeah, like here's one I prepared earlier. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Uh, you mentioned a couple of psychological observations, right? One was during a time of your um, seeing what was happening with your folks um, and just what happens when people get crunched financially. Um, can you talk yep. a bit about that and, and you may, yeah, and, and how that impacts how people behave? Because I find that's always interesting. Like right now, there's a lot of commentary about consumer behavior, e-commerce is taking off. Um, does that mean people, when they're in lockdown, they spend more? So these sort of questions come about. But going back to, I mean, just what you've seen over the last 20 years, um, you know, what are some some observations you've had around how people view money um, and, and how they how, how they prepare for or, or even disregard potential of recession? Because I see like that's, uh, for some people, they just have no clue. Like they just go, yeah, we're fine. Um, and then overnight, the, you know, uh, we've got enforced lockdowns and people, they, sh- they have to shut shop because the store's not, you know, there's no traffic. Um, so, yeah, what are some of the things that you've seen as a result of your experiences? Well, some of the greatest insights I've had were from a professor friend of mine. He's a professor of psychology and he teaches Forex trading and there's a, there's a lot of human psychology that goes into that. I mean, he used to have a job as a jury duty selector. But, pe- you know, stock markets show this time and time, and time again that, um, you know, people are, are reacting to emotion they tend to go through stages like you know, denial and anger and um, blame, and uh, you know people are at various cycles in that. I guess depending on how much they've been conditioned and what sort of model of life they have in their head, it's going to dictate how they react when the game changes. You know, if someone scrambles the pieces, I made a commitment when I quit my job that I will accept and embrace change, that I will be comfortable with change, that I will thrive with change, that I see change as an opportunity. So I'm always thinking about contingencies. Um, as soon as I detected some problems happening around the world, I went and stocked up. I'm not talking like crazy prepper stocking. I'm just saying, you know, I had toilet paper and food <laughs> yeah. in my freezer. And, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating what's happening next. You know, you can, you can rightfully see there's going to be a run on the shop. So you can see that there's going to be people panic selling things, um, that uh, freezers are going to sell out of stock. Um, and then you, you look around, you see there's Perspex screens popping up everywhere in the post office, the supermarket, et cetera. You know someone's doing well out of this. There's, yeah. there's a bit of a, a new industry going on there. Um, you have a look at how much Wall Street flows up and down depending on the latest um, news update, whether it's a, a bad announcement or a good one. It goes up or down. And uh, it's. I think most people just haven't really unlocked themselves much from when they were kids and they're still running an old um, software program in their brain and they could probably update the software to the newest version um, by taking off some of the factory restrictions. They were put there by your parents. So f- for me, I went outside my family to books and started learning about things. You can read about black swans. You can read about um, psycho-cybernetics, about how people are uh, goal-seeking devices, how we, um, we basically attract what we think about 
Uh, if people are constantly fear-based and security-based and reacting to every emotion that comes along, it'll just push them further into a hole. And, you know, with, with uh, every difficult scenario, there's a huge opportunity. I've um, been enjoying stock trading for the last three or four weeks, for example, where there's a lot of money moving around. It's very easy to make a gain by just waiting for it to drop and then writing it up again and then selling off and doing it over and over again. Um, that, that, those days will stop sooner or later. But for everyone who's having a difficult time, you'd have to think there's plenty of people who have seen a great opportunity. Even when I drive um, up the road here in what used to be our council swimming pool, which is shut, mm. there is a contactless coffee cart there now. Someone has put their mobile coffee cart They've put a milk crate out with a payment terminal and some sanitizer and another milk crate where they put the coffee and you shout your order out across the car park. That's great. You know, they've found an opportunity and they're, they're uh, moving in in the space where, you know, the poor pool worker is out of employment but the coffee cart is on the way up. So it's a matter of saying, okay, a change has happened. Where's the new opportunity for this and how am I going to deal with the cards that have been dealt? And you can still win in poker with a shitty hand. You just have to play it better. Mm. That's a really, really good and astute point. Um, you talked about sort of the uh, the shift that you had to make. So you got to ten thousand a month, and then you kind of hit a wall. Um, I see that's a, a, a common milestone for a lot of entrepreneurs. Like, when do I get to the six figures, and then how do I jump from six to seven? Um, what is that transition? in your experience and why do we get stuck there? Well, it's probably like an aeroplane's uh, altitude autopilot. It's just a comfort level that beyond there, um, it means we might have to take more responsibility. It means we might be exposed to new pressures if we're more successful or we have people paying attention to us. So I think breaking that down is good. In my case, I was just needing to probe for the innovation that would take me to the next stage. But the fact that I expected it and that I looked for it uh, resulted in me finding it uh, not only once but twice. I found one innovation um, through going through some material of someone else's um, information and I found one little innovation that enabled me to double the business straight away and then, um, then I found another innovation uh, when I went travelling and spoke to people who were far more successful than I was. I just picked up a few little scraps of, of their conversations and was able to just turn it on and ramp it up. So I think if we're stuck, it's really a self-imposed prison. And the way out of it is to take responsibility for it, to ask yourself better questions, and to expect that you can actually move past this rather than give up in defeat. Yeah, I think it's it's easy to get caught in the what-ifs and, and go down that path and not take um, stock of where we've come from, right? So we look back and you go 10 years ago, I was working in corporate and this is my thing and um, whatever it may be. And then say, look, I've, I've actually come a long way. Um, I have, I'm surrounded by new people or people who can like mentors like yourself um, who can support us. And I think that these are where you, you, fo- you focus your mind. And if that's a big takeaway. I've, I've, ever since I've heard you talk and, and listen to your podcast, like that's something that's resonated with me. It's, it's, it's about where is your mind focused? Um, where are you putting that attention because it, it, it can go either way. Um, 
you've mentioned the opportunities that are present in the present in the current economy. Uh, what are some of the business? I know I saw you. I think it was you that posted a question about what are the business models that are sort of working right now or available to people. Um, what have you seen from even within the Superfast Business membership um, and, and your members there or, or people you've spoken to? What are a couple or a few of the opportunities in terms of business models that are really available? Well, online education is huge. A lot of my customers are 300% or 500% up at the moment, having their best months ever. I would say three quarters of my highest level group had their best month ever in April 2020, mm. you know, which is telling. Uh, that means they're in the right place. So anyone who's got education courses is going well. And anyone who provides um, a high level of expertise in uh, where people can have a big gain from is also doing well. And I would call that like ca- uh, being cashing in on an insurance policy. And I'd say that's why my business is going up at the moment because I'm an experienced person who can help my customers make good choices when the, when the stakes are higher, then choices are more valuable. And then there's a limited audience of, um, you know, there's less competition for me when the stakes are high because I've got such a proven track record that there's very low risk for my customers. In fact, some of my uh, partnerships are uh, 100% risk-free for my partners. Like they, they only pay if there's an upside. So that, that means um, if you position yourself in the right place, if whether you're an educator, whether you're an agency or an expert who's really good at what you do, there will be a market for you right now uh, of the people who are doing well. In fact, for all the people who aren't doing that great or have had a, a suffering, there's plenty of people out there right now who are having an absolute flood of spoils that can hardly contain it. And I know a couple of the people on my highest end, and one guy in, in April has already sold more in April than he did for the last quarter before that. And he's just off the rails busy, like can't hire fast enough, can't can't keep up with demand Um and, and there's this layer on, on, on layer of demand. So definitely the people who have courses or training of any kind uh, seem to be doing really well. People who have services are in hot demand right now because I'm mainly working with people who are very good at what they do. So the, the better players in, the, in this market environment are going to prosper more. The people with really good reputation and low risk uh, outcomes for people. You talk about reputation as um, it's a key... I guess, factor in winning business. Um, and let's talk about own the race course and that philosophy and, and how, where did that come from? And, and when did you start first, I guess, implementing and teaching that? Uh, it was um, initially I noticed uh, someone in my old trade was doing particularly well. I wanted to interview him. I was very enthusiastic and I asked him if I could come around and chat to him about how he had somehow acquired a Mercedes-Benz dealership and a authorised smash repairer. And he said, yeah, no one's ever asked me, come around. And uh, he was the one who, who shared with me a lot of those philosophies, probably a, a good chunk of the things I use now in my own business and the ones I teach my students came from that source. And Own the Race course is really about not having compromise. It's about asset ownership where possible or having a good balance of risk and, and control so that you're not um, giving up all the control and taking a huge risk. Um, but, of course, there are benefits for giving up control 
like ease. It's harder to have control in some cases. It's easy to just give control up. It's easy to build a Facebook group. It's hard to build a private forum. Uh, but one's riskier than the other. Uh, one has more control than the other. So there are choices you can make along the way. And you can pretty much bet the people who are complaining that they got slapped or swiped or shut down, they probably gave up control and they took an easier path at some point than what they could have done. And so how do how can someone listen to this, apply OTR, um, or can maybe share a case study of one of your students who've, who've done that really well? Well, lots of my students have their own platforms, which is great. Um, the one thing you really want to think about is like, can you build an email database? That would be a great way to have some control. So even if you do have a popular YouTube channel or um, a Facebook group or an app and it's going well for you, it'd be nice to have that email address as well so that you can communicate with that customer if something changes. If you go to log into your Facebook group one day and it says, no, your account's been locked or you've, you know, it's no longer available, it's declined or it's been deleted, you can at least email them and say, oh, okay, we're over here now. So think about how can you contact your database? Your database is probably the single best asset you have. And um, other, other than that, whenever you get a choice, think about um, what will happen if this stops? Just ask yourself that scenario. What would happen if my group gets shut down. What will happen if my channel gets stopped? I have a client right now. He makes uh, seven figures a year from an, someone else's website as a publisher. And we've been building a contingency plan for the day that that site sends him an email saying they're going to halve his commissions or that his course is no longer uh, fits within their vision of what their business wants to do because it will come. We just assume it will come. And the day it comes, we'll be righto. Well, we'll just go email the list now and tell them we're over here. And so have that backup. It's too late when the news comes and you haven't thought about it. So think about today. What happens if this stops? What happens if that person leaves my business? What happens if um, someone starts using my uh, same brand name? What happens if this whole market segment gets blacklisted as something that uh, that the big platforms don't want to allow advertising for, for example. And you can build redundancy into almost every part of your business if you think that way. Yeah, we've seen that, I think it was this week, where Amazon um, just said, you know, we're going to cut commissions uh, against for all our affiliates for specific product ranges. So that, that was a big hit for a lot of people who, write, who rely on that one source for their income. Um, I'm sure you've seen that with Facebook and other places as well so that's a really good i always say these ones because i i get tagged with um them people saying own the race course (laughs) it's like i've been sharing this message for a decade and some people are still just you know when when the going's good and it's easy they're not thinking about what happens if it's not easy they're just thinking about how great this is and i've seen them come and go since i've been online people rise and fall rise and fall New faces come up and then they disappear. Uh, it's it's really amazing to see this. And this is where I think I provide a lot of value to the people I'm navigating through as they get successful is keeping some of that money. And, you know, I like to take some of my money out of the business and put it um, away from the business into my own private investments so that no matter what happens to the business, I mean, I could just turn it off one day and that would be okay. 
But a lot of people just double down and reinvest and reinvest and they get this bigger and bigger egg basket and it just gets washed, <laughs> uh, which sucks. Yeah, you don't want to be um, Virgin Unite. What's it, Virgin Air right now? Um, right. And, yeah. you know, where's Branson? He's not going to bail them out. That's right. That's right. So if someone's listening to this right now and they're going, okay, uh, lost my job or the last business didn't work out for whatever reason um, and I'm looking forward, what would be your sort of number one tip for entrepreneurs on improving cash flow over the next 90 days or six months? Uh, well, I'd be looking to see where is the money flowing in the economy. Um, you see airline pilots are taking jobs in nursing homes. That's where there's a lot of employment possibility right now. I mean, it sucks if you if you had a job and you lost it um, because, you know, you had a single source dependency. You were getting paid by one person. I'd say do whatever you can to get paid by more than one person. If you, if you possibly could get paid by 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 people, then you're going to have a much more protected situation. So maybe it's time to think about if you want to start a business and have a look where um, people have a huge amount of demand and, and they're ready to spend. And I'm sure there are opportunities out there. But right now with um, education sites adding 8, 10, 20 million users a month, it's a good time to put your expertise into electrons and get it out there on a course or, or something like that. And is there someone that you either it's in your circle or that you can recommend who's really good at teaching people how to get online and sell knowledge? It's such a hard one because I'm teaching my kids through this at the moment. I've, I've first thing I've asked them to learn copywriting because it's an essential skill that will serve them well forever. Uh, to be able to sell is more important than pretty much any other of the skills. Mm. If they can do that well, I've also um, asked them to go through the information in the 10X Pro Academy because there are courses in there, like um, your own course in a weekend. Nice. I've got them some subscription to my friends, Matt and Joe have sent um, one of my kids uh, access to their membership where they, where they teach a lot of the stuff that's uh, easy to understand. And I've got another another one's going through an affiliate course right now. But that's that's how we've started out. But you know, it's not a market I specialize in. I reckon it's one of the hardest things to do <laughs> is to teach people from scratch. I like to you know let them do all of that. I'll get them when they're ready to really you know go leaps. And so, like I was speaking to your founder yesterday, that, that's my perfect type of customer. Someone who's just who gets it and is just firing on all cylinders. Yeah, it's the reason why the average business takes about three years to get it to that point and then they come and see you um, because it's a bit hard from the beginning. Uh, but there are a good, couple of good tips and I love that the kids are learning because uh, these skills will last a lifetime. Like they, yeah. you know, how to sell, how to market yourself, how to you know, spread a good message um, and, this, and do partnerships and these sort of things. Now you published a book, uh, Work Less, Make More, and... Why did you decide to write that book um, when you did and, and what has come from you doing that? Well, I tried to write that book five years earlier, but it, it was a false start. I um, recognized it wasn't going to be able to be done by just me. So I paid someone, I think $10,000 to help me and she just got bogged down and lost, lost in her mind about it and couldn't produce it. So 
years later, I was speaking in a, at an event in the Philippines and Kelly Exeter was sitting in the audience and she loved my presentation. And when I came back down off the stage, she said, why don't you have a book? And I said, oh, well, I've tried to have a book. And, you know, I told her the whole story. She said, I will help you if you want. I said, done deal. And she extracted that book out of me. She asked me a bazillion questions. She went through all my stuff and and we would back and forth things. I'd send her audios. She'd send back the, the, the chapters. I'd just clean up the, the words the way I uh, communicate. And so it's, they're all my concepts and all my ideas and all come from my material. But she was able to manipulate the bits and pieces into a sensible format, a really actionable, concise, pleasurable book to read. And it went out there and it's been selling really well for the last couple of years. And I'm proud of that book. It, it was a good collection of my thoughts and a great introduction to the market. And I'm currently working on my next book with Kelly. Uh, so, you know, once you get a taste for it, I think it's something you want to do more of. Love it. Can you give us a sneak peek of what that's going to be about? Yeah, the next two books will be, um, one is how to take a six-figure business to seven figures. So that really speaks to my perfect audience. And it's probably more niche than the first one. And the other book is about memberships. It's you know, why have a membership? Can you have a membership? You know, what you need to do to put together a membership and how to sell it, how to keep members, how to you know, advance things beyond that because I've been doing those for 11 years now. Yeah, let's talk about that because I did have that as something um, to cover on this call was you've got two tiers, I guess, of your membership. You've got Superfast Business and then you've got the Silver Circle, which is a premium um, tier. Uh, how did you get into memberships in the beginning and why do you advocate that as a good business model? Well, I advocate it as a good business model for me and there are certain f- criteria that would indicate whether it's good or bad for you. Like if, if you want to just set up a recurring income and never show up, it's, it's a terrible business model for you. Like that's the failure a lot of people have. They think it's some, you know, amazing magical trick. <laughs> My forum started as a bonus when someone else purchased um, a product from this market who had a $2,000 product and I could see that the product was pretty complicated and I knew people buying it would struggle. So I said, listen, buy this product from me. I will get a commission, but I will help coach you through the product. I'll go through the product with you and I'll explain what it all means and I'll make sure you get success. And here's all the reasons why I'm qualified to do that. You know, I know this guy, I've been following his methods. I've been getting results. You can see them here. And I had 76 people sign up for his program, I got paid the commission, which was about $76,000. And then I put them into a membership. And then I said, if you want to stay beyond that help period, then you can just pay a monthly rate. And that's how it started. And then after that, I started speaking at live events and, and selling workshops. And then people who went to the workshop would get access. And then I started selling it um, straight up to people who came and, and I sold it bundled with DVDs. So over the years, it's, it's been sold a few different ways, but now it can sell by itself. I've heard a lot about people talking about membership sites, also communities is kind of the buzzword right now, you know, go create an online community. Um, But there's really a handful that do it well. Um, And you have really engaged members, you know, who are jumping in there every day and commenting and things like this. Um, What do you think is the difference between going into like creating an engaged community versus one that's just crickets? And I've seen a lot of those. Um, So, yeah, how do you... I guess, let me frame the question a better way. How do you make sure you have engagement inside the community or the membership that you build? I'd actually say it's the wrong goal. Mm. 
I could care less if people are jumping in every day or not. All I care about is do they get a result? Do they pay the money and get a result? If they could get that result of five minutes of advice once a month, I, I don't care if they never come into the membership. There's one customer I've got. I've had him for almost 10 years and he's never made a single post. I know he logs in often, but I don't really know this person, but he logs in often and whatever's, whatever he's getting from it's obviously working out for him. So the main thing is, can you get a result? And it would be a mistake to think, you know, that the goal is to have the most engagement possible. You're going to end up thinking, oh, I should use Facebook because everyone's there and they'll be so engaged. People get burnt out. They get worn out. They're sick and tired of this. And I can tell you, if they're not now, they will be in a few years because I already reached it about four years ago. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a big social media user. I'm not on the internet 24-7. Like, mm. apart from the occasional call, I'm not even anywhere near a device. So it's, it's really a matter of defining what is the ideal outcome you can promise and deliver. And if that happens to involve engagement, great. And, you know, there's lots of groups that have got a plenty of noise but no signal. I see this. In fact, one of the most popular products that sells that tells people to have a membership, it's a very noisy, very hyped up, really busy. You get those stupid daily posts like, you know, what would be your superhero, those sort of things, getting people engaged. But really, does that help them grow their business or is that just keeping people entertained and keeping them busy? And it's it's kind of like sugar, really. It's like eating candy instead of vegetables. You know, you can keep busy with it, but it's not doing you any good. So rather than engagement, I think a successful membership will be uh, giving someone a massive return on their investment. And, you know, and that depends on what, how do you define a return? Would you like to buy a membership where you get a massive amount of engagement or would you like to buy a membership where you put in some money and it delivers you uh, the exact outcome that would make your life perfect? And for some people, that's not more time in a community. I'd say for most of them. Mm. And in fact, the, the busiest ones, the ones who ask the most questions are often the most distracted, the easily procrastinated ones who um who just don't get don't get a result because they're too busy going around in circles and being being engaged and they're easily <laughs> engaged by marketers it takes discipline not to be engaged especially with all the the science that go, goes into um those platforms to keep you hooked in and right now i'd say everyone's using social media a lot more to the point there's even a term called doom surfing that's literally people who go online looking for trouble to rubberneck because it's just a distraction and it's an escape from facing the facts. Like you are saying before, people have their head in the sand. Well, their head is in the social media platform being dragged around and getting into useless discussions. Yeah, I love that. It's just centering back on, and I see why you're so good at what you do <laughs> because you just go, okay, what's the actual objective here? You know, do you want to double your revenue? Well, you know, chatting on Facebook every day is not going to do that for you unless it's sales conversations, right? So um, really, really appreciate that. Uh, let's wrap up. We're going to um, just make one, one case for, for people to read the book. I, I want people to read it. I've read it and, and it's, it's been significant, like just learning about EHR. Um, do you want to explain that concept, James? It's simply effective hourly rate. It's a great benchmark to get a gauge on where you're at now in terms of how effective you're being. And it gives you a tool to use to decide what things you should do, uh, which business models are good. Uh, if you're an employee, 
then you probably know your effective hourly rate. It'll be the hourly wage on your pay slip. Almost all employees know their hourly rate. Um, virtually no entrepreneurs know their hourly rate. <laughs> and it's, it's basically if you take your revenue and you subtract your costs, that leaves your profit and you divide that by the number of hours you work to achieve that, that's your effective hourly rate. You could do it monthly or weekly or, or whatever. Um, most people have a fairly low effective hourly rate uh, when they calculate this, and it can be a bit depressing, but if you increase the effective hourly rate or you mentally increase it first and then you carry out activities consistent with that higher rate, you'll start to see significant change within your business and, and the outcomes you get. That's what the book really goes into is how to calculate it and then how to actually build that system and systemize that to get it to a point where you, you know, um, whatever the goal might be. So for some people, it could be that four-hour work week Tim Ferriss thing, but I don't think um, that's realistic for a lot of people. <laughs> I don't think you've got a probably the closest in reality to, to that model um, in terms of how many days are you actually working in the business um, versus family time and um, surfing. I know you're a big surfer. so. You've certainly been through a lot over the past two decades. We started off with the recession, uh, the last recession. We're going into the next one very soon. So what can you share with our audience about, just as a summary, your, your key takeaways about mastering timing and change? Well, I think just accept change. It's going to happen no matter what. So be ready for it. Um, embrace it. Get, you, get yourself thinking about um, the various scenarios if this changes, what will I do? If that changes, what will I do? Start anticipating, not in a fearful way. Like don't spend a lot of time worrying about all the bad things that might happen. Also think about what are the good changes that could happen and think about those scenarios as well. And as they happen, uh, make sure you're well rested, that you give yourself time to process things. So don't do gut reactions. Um, you know, at the moment, you see a lot of really obnoxious behavior and just outlandish uh, responses to things where you think, well, in a normal environment, you wouldn't see that, but people are stressed. They're on edge. They're not, they're not sleeping. They're, they're doom surfing, you know, like they're just like trigger happy. If you recognize that, like step back, just get away from the, get away from the socials, have a good night's sleep, write down your thoughts and think about them and then move forward uh, in a, you know, in a responsible way, because you've got to look after yourself. You've got to carry yourself through this um, if you are struggling or you're having a, a lot of stress about it, talk it out with someone. It's important to let people know if you're feeling down or if you're feeling, um, you know, really negative thoughts. Talk it through with someone, especially for men, especially for entrepreneurs. They don't have many people to talk about it with, which is why you're seeing community is so popular at the moment. People need to connect with each other. So there's a few things that you, you could do and just map out, various scenarios and, and pick one and start and, and then be ready to adapt as things change again, which they will soon enough. And remember, this is just a temporary phase. You'll get to the other side of it and it'll be in the past at some point. It's like me quitting my job is over a decade in the past, but it felt very real at the time. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, all right, we're just going to wrap up with the final question here, which is one we ask all our guests, which is what does financial freedom mean to you? Um, I know a lot of people aren't talking about freedom right now. <laughs> We're talking about security at this point in time, but I'm curious just to get your thoughts around, was that ever an objective for you uh, when you started your business career or um, what does it actually mean to you and do you even care? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was critical for me. I mean, it's the whole reason I embarked on the journey. I had have kids and that means massive responsibility. Certainly you're stuck with them for at least the first 20 years of their life. So 
it's not just you it's like legacy and it's um the the your family infrastructure i've ended up being in a supportive role for a lot of people like employees family members etc so i have to have that responsibility so yes beyond doubt my my um absolute goal is to be so financially secure that i don't have to work that i don't need to worry about bills or take a calculator around with me at the local shopping center when i'm doing my groceries or work out if i can or can't afford a cafe latte today at the coffee shop you know and i've been fortunate enough to navigate myself into a position where i don't think that's ever going to be an issue for me and i certainly think about all scenarios where that could change but i feel like i've gotten past that now and it's really highlighted other aspects of life like my surfing like relationships like spending time with my family and appreciating things and uh you know writing books and reading things and learning and that's what life has become for me now it's like i feel like i'm in a state of semi-retirement that i could sustain for decades and i'm just going to ask this question because you are a parent and a lot of our listeners are parents as well um what would be the the key message you'd like to leave with your kids? Uh, I think just be a good person. Just like be a good human is the most important thing. I don't mind what they do. I don't, set, I don't tell them they have to be a doctor or a lawyer or a solicitor. Uh, I just want them to be healthy, happy, good people. You know, I'd hate to look at the news and see that one of my kids did something terrible. You often see that when someone does something bad and their parents are ashamed of them or whatever. I, I would just hope that they have uh, good security within themselves that they carry themselves around you know in the world as a good person and that they have a, a good life i respect that thank i want to appreciate you and acknowledge you james for all you've done and for joining us today thank you so much everyone else please check out superfastbusiness.com and connect with james and his community there um meryl our ceo is part of that community and and certainly i've been to uh, james's last event i don't know what SFB Live 2021 is going to look like, uh, but hopefully we'll be in person in the room together again. So thanks a lot, James. Thanks for all the character you bring to our uh, community as well. It's always a joy to see you around and uh, your discussions and your enthusiasm. And uh, it's good to see all the great work you're doing. And I think uh, Meryl's happy to have you on the team for sure. (laughs) Cheers, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Talk to you real soon. Want to better understand your business, make better financial decisions, and also drive more profit? If yes, then understanding your numbers is key to achieving these goals. If you're like most business owners, you've never studied accounting, and you've never been taught how to really understand the critical numbers in your business, or how to use them to make effective decisions, grow revenue, improve profitability, and increase cash. That's why we created the Be Ninjas Know Your Numbers course. And here's what business coach Justine Cox shared about her experience with the training. Probably the biggest impact for me, I found the course amazing. Uh, One, it was a bit of a refresher. I've been using Xero for a while, but it really helped me to know the pieces of Xero that I should focus on and, and how that can help me in my business. The first thing I was able to do is hand over a lot of the data entry and the processing tasks to the VA. So that saved me probably two to three hours a week. So that's the first um, win for us. But really what I wanted to focus on was the financial reporting. Um, I wasn't doing a lot of that and now I am. 
And the one thing that we've implemented that has made a huge difference for me understanding where the numbers are at in my business is the profit first principles and that cash flow management. And so setting up uh, an extra business account, I was kind of halfway there, but it has been amazing. It's uh, one, I can stop worrying about money because now I know exactly what I've got to spend where. Uh, and, And two, I am proud of the fact that I've actually started to put away some profit. So that's been amazing. So if you're someone who might be getting overwhelmed with the idea of going into your zero file and not really knowing knowing what's going on money-wise with your business, or you just want a simple way to understand zero and finances for your own peace of mind, our Know Your Numbers course can help. You'll have a rare chance to work closely with an accountant and also have the support of other like-minded business owners who are going through the program. Head to beninjas.com forward slash know your numbers to learn more about our course and register to receive updates about our next enrollment period. That's beanninjas.com forward slash know your numbers or one word.